she looks great. Really? Who are you talking about? Oh, her? I just saw her at Meyer, and I thought she was looking really rough. Well, here's her family beach pictures. And look at her profile picture. Look how much she has changed recently. Okay, well, you do know that's just a filter, right? This overheard conversation is a snapshot into a real problem. And I'm not talking about the problem of gossip, although I kind of am. It's a real problem with social media and People often say you talk about social media a lot in your sermons, and I do because it's a large part of our life. It's a very dangerous part of our life, whether we realize it or not. And so we talk a lot about the emotional and mental problems that come along with social media, where we see the best version of everybody else all the time. And we often long for a better version of ourself all the time. And those two things don't mix well together because we're, we're constantly faced with the reality that my life isn't like I want it to be. My fish that I catch are not as big as Musky Man's, Austin Paget's fish that he's putting on YouTube and everywhere else. Well, he doesn't catch that many fish, but the ones that he does... My family vacations, they don't seem as fun and peaceful as this family's family vacation. And if the concept of social media wasn't dangerous enough for us, the addition and even recent rise of social media filters makes it even more dangerous. You see, for those of us who don't know, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok... We can make an appearance that is absolutely amazing with what is called filters. Filters that will airbrush our skin and make it smooth. Effects that will make our hair look amazing. Different ways to manipulate the scenery and make everything look beautiful. And the quality of these filters is only getting better and better. So you look at them and you don't even know if that is a filter or not. These apps provide us with miraculous digital skin treatment at the click of a button. Now, the Queen of Tennessee, Dolly Parton, she once said it cost a lot of money to look this cheap. And I know that's humorous. It's meant to be. But it's literally costing young women their lives on social media. In 2020, a year where we had to look at ourselves all the time on a computer screen, whether it was through Zoom meetings or online class where we were always looking at our face, there was a dramatic spike in eating disorders and plastic surgery in our country. Suicide with young women, the age, ages from 12 to 17, increased 
just in the summer of 2020, 26% among teenage girls. And then in the winter, it went up 50 more percent. Young women ages 12 through 17 and mental health emergencies increased 31%. There's no secret why that is happening. And here's where the filters matter. Because it used to be that women struggled with their images as they walked out of the grocery store, as they checked out, and they had to look at the magazines of all the nice pretty women that were there. And they struggled with their own appearance. Now it's not the appearance of someone else that haunts them. It's their own filtered appearance that haunts them. And they strive for something that is impossible, but they're torn because they believe it's impossible because because they've seen it with their own face and in their own face. Now, yesterday when I was writing the sermon introduction, to be honest with you, it was way more lighthearted. It was way more about, you know, Dolly Parton and those sort of things. And then I realized how sad it was. And then I realized how tragic it was. And then I realized how scary it really is. And so just as a side note, parents, you better be focused. You better be intent on picking that phone up. And talking to your kids about what they are doing, what they are seeing, even in their own face, even in their own activities. Be aware of what is going on right in front of you. We often think the work of Satan is this horrible, uh, demonic thing that that you can't even see and you don't even know is, is all around And so often it's just right in front of us. And it's destroying the lives of so many around us. But it is a distant symptom of the brokenness that's in all of our hearts. We long with our hearts to filter a better life for ourselves. In the same way we will airbrush our skin or delete nose hairs or ear hair or whatever it is, the same way we don't want to see those things in our face, our hearts will filter out all of the sin that the Bible shows before us. As we look into the law of God, as we look into the scriptures of God, we don't want to see ourselves staring back as a sinner And so what we do with our own hearts is we paint a different picture of ourselves, so that we don't even see the picture that Jesus paints for us in the Bible. And we see that here in our text with a rich young ruler beginning in verse 17. He has filtered himself with his own heart and he thinks he's good enough to make it to heaven on his own. Notice verse 17. And he was setting out on his journey. And this is Jesus. And we've we've seen his mission trips around Caperna over and over. And then with his disciples as he's outside of the city. 
as he's outside of the communities of Galilee and he's taking them on a mission trip to prepare them for the kingdom that is coming. This is what it's going to be like. And now at this point, he's headed to Jerusalem. He's making his way to the city where he will be crucified. And along the way, a man ran up and knelt before him. Now, this man is classically known as the rich, young ruler. It was a man who had wealth. It was a young man who had status in the community. He was a leader. He was very religious. He was an up and comer in the business world. He was investing in property. He was volunteering at the homeless mission. He was also a member of his church. He was a member of the largest church. He was a Sunday school, college and career teacher that you saw at Chick-fil-A, who also had front row seats at every EKU game. That was him. Everybody knew him. Everybody saw him as a good guy. Everybody saw him as someone who could make things happen. His face, his presence was all over the community. But notice what he does. He kneels down before Jesus. He gives him reverence. But notice as a, he says, good teacher, a well-respected rabbi. And notice the question he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, his question was probably very generic. How do I live forever? How, how do I get to heaven? He had a very generic way of thinking about eternal life. But Jesus was a rabbi who had taught with great authority about an eternal kingdom. And Jesus would even say that eternal kingdom is present in my flesh and blood. And Jesus would describe and teach about what God was going to do in the future and for eternity. And so if there was anybody who knew his power, his authority, the signs, the wonders, it would be this man would know, I've done a lot. I've done everything I know to do to get to heaven. But if there's one more thing, if there's anything I should do, this man will know. Notice Jesus' Jesus' response, verse 18. He said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. He challenges his thoughts about goodness because he knows that the man doesn't know that he is eternal goodness. And so he asked the question, me good? Why? Why would you call me good? And right off the bat, Jesus is pointing out that this man fails his theology exam. Because in tradition and in the teaching of the Jews, only God was good. So how in the world are you walking up and calling me good? Do you really think just anybody can be good? Notice the text continues. You know the commandments. Now, this man's thoughts about goodness is what leads Jesus in this direction. Because it's not just that he thinks Jesus is good. He thinks he's good. And so Jesus says, you know, the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. You know, all of these things, you know, the Ten Commandments, you're very familiar with the law. There were 600 plus laws that God had given the Jewish people that were summarized by the Ten Commandments. 
But even the Ten Commandments could be categorized in two different ways. Remember the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, with your whole being. Love the Lord. And then love your neighbor as yourself. The Ten Commandments could be summarized in those two categories. Love God, the first part of the Ten Commandments. And then love your neighbor, the second half, which is what he quotes to this man. And so Jesus, in some sense, is saying to this man, if you think you're good enough, which in Matthew, that's how he asked the question. He comes up to Jesus and says, what good thing must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus says, if you want to do a good thing to get to heaven, obey the law, obey the Ten Commandments. If you think you're good enough, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And here's how you do it. The second half of the Ten Commandments. Notice verse 20. He said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. I have kept the Ten Commandments and I have loved my neighbor as myself my whole life from my bar mitzvah on. That is who I am. I've done it. I can check that box. So I must be good. Now, we know This is the wrong answer. If you were standing there as a good Christian, you would go, oh, no. Oh, no. Where is this going to lead now? What is Jesus going to say to him? That is the wrong answer because no one has obeyed the Ten Commandments perfectly. And he just disobeyed the Ten Commandments because he just lied. He can't do it. It's cringy for us. If you're here today and you believe that you can only go to heaven through the goodness of Christ, you go, oh, that's that doesn't make that's cringy. And it fits within the same audacious claims of righteousness that we've seen from the Pharisees and the scribes and others. But even more, it fits within the claims of the disciples who think they're going to be great in the kingdom. And Jesus is pointing out, no, you're not great. As I go to be crucified, you can't be thinking you're great. And so it's just this audacious claim of goodness and greatness by this man. But here's the problem. If you assume you are good or can be good, this is the same way you will approach Jesus. What good thing can I do to inherit eternal life? Some of you may be asking that question today. Some of you may be here because you asked that question and you think this is a good thing that's going to get you eternal life. And in your mind, you think it is possible, even in your heart, you think you are capable of balancing out the good with the bad in your life. And at the end, you're going to have more good than bad. And you're really trying to be good. And it's the way we even think about our problems when we come before Jesus. If you have a financial problem, a lot of times we think it's because we've been bad. And so you say, what good thing can I do to fix this? Is there a good prayer I can pray? Prayer Jabez. Is there a good offering? Some of you don't know about that. That's in the 90s, I guess. Is there a good offering I can give toward? To fix my financial issues, what good thing can I do? Some of you, uh, we, we, when we are enslaved in heinous, Indwelling sin, this is the way we think about it. 
What good things can I do to fix my sin issues? Give me some good discipline. Give me, give me some good accountability. I am good enough and I have enough grit within me. If I have the right plan, I can hold it off and I can fight it off. Some of you come in here today and you're struggling with guilt. And the way you're trying to fix guilt and, and, and you lack assurance about your salvation and the way you try to address that is through doing a good thing. Give me more to do at church so I'll, I'll know I'm a Christian. And the reason you do that is you think you're good or can be good, just like this man. And as audacious as it is, we should, as scandalized by him as we are, we should be scandalized by ourselves. You see, the problem is that his filter of goodness covers up the flesh and blood image of Jesus right in front of him, who is eternal goodness. You see, the law he studied from his youth was to reveal that he was a lawbreaker. As he studied the law, he was supposed to say, I can't, I can't. And what the law of God does is it leads us to the law keeper, the one standing in front of him, who is Jesus. You see, the law demands perfection. If you're going to try to get to heaven according to the law, you can't mess up one time. You have to obey it perfectly. And so the only one who can look into the law and see his reflection staring back at him is Jesus. Jesus is the only one good enough and he stands in front of him. And this is awkward and this is cringy. It would be the same way today if Patrick Mahomes was here. Or Tom Brady. Or the greatest quarterback of all time, Peyton Manning. And I walked up to Peyton, the sheriff. That's a nickname. And I said, Peyton, you know what? I had to play quarterback in one of my peewee football games one time. And it was horrible. Like, it was terrible. I don't know why the coach put me there. I should have never been there. I was horrible at playing football. But now as I see you in person today, standing here before me, Peyton Manning, the greatest quarterback of all time, I think I could win the Super Bowl. That makes no sense, right? Standing before the man who won the Super Bowl or has won Super Bowls, and then you, little pathetic athlete, I think I could do what you do. That's exactly what this man is doing before Jesus eternal goodness, perfection, righteousness. And he would stand before him and say, but I'm pretty good. I can do what you do, Jesus. I can I can be who you are. That is what this man is doing. He thinks he is good like Jesus. And so, first of all, for the man to get to heaven, for us to have eternal life, we have to remove the filter, the filter that says I'm good enough to get to heaven on my own, because you will not get to heaven thinking you are good enough to get to heaven on your own. You won't. It is only the goodness of God that will get you to heaven. And it is the goodness of God who has given us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who came and lived the only good life, the only perfect life. And he died on a cross for our lack of goodness. And God has raised him from the dead. And God promises when you believe in him, his whole life that he lived without sin, he fulfilled the law. It is credited to you. You can't do what Jesus did. You're not good enough. 
It is only through his good life in your place that you will have eternal life. And so Jesus looking at him and. If it was me, I would have some sarcastic barb. Yeah, right. Jesus notice verse 21, what Jesus does. And looking at him, he loved him. Mm. That's got me all week when I read those words. It's really hard for me to love self-righteous twits. And I'm one of those. And Jesus looks at him and loves him. He's committed to his good. And he, he says, you lack one thing, and this one thing is everything. And in Matthew, he says, if you want to be perfect, he says this, go sell all that you have and give to the poor. Go auction it off. Put the sign up when you get home today. Sell every bit of it. Be left without one cent. You think you have it all? Delete it all. Give it all away. Give it to the poor. Take it down to the homeless mission. Have a party. With those who have no place to live and who are struck with poverty. Give it all away. Notice he says, you will have treasure in heaven. You will have eternal life. Your, your future will be secure. Your profit, your investment will be in heaven forever. And then he says, and come and follow me. Give it all away and follow me. Now, we, why would he respond that way? Why would he not just say, whoa, 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 whoa. We need to have a... Theology lesson, justification by faith. Maybe you've heard of a guy named Martin Luther, and I'm going to tell you about the Reformation, and let's sit down and talk about how it is impossible for you to be good enough to get to heaven. No, he presses in on his heart. And he says, if you think you're good enough to fulfill the law, what is he, say, what is he saying here? He's saying, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your whole self, which is follow Jesus. Jesus says, if you want to get to heaven by fulfilling the law, first of all, love God with your whole being. Follow me. That's what he's applying here. He's applying the law to his life. That's what it would look like in this moment for this rich young man to fulfill the law would mean that he would love the Lord Jesus with his whole life. And then love your neighbor as yourself. The stuff that you have that you love yourself with, the money, the food, the riches, the home, all you have that you are loving yourself with, that you live for, you love other people with. That's what it would mean for you to be good enough to get to heaven. That's what it would mean for you to fulfill the law. And notice the man's response. He's disheartened. And it's not just that he is disappointed. He respects Jesus and he knows Jesus is an authority he is brokenhearted and depressed. That's not what I wanted to hear. And here we see what Jesus warned about just a few passages ago. This is a man who has gained the whole world, but he's lost his soul. He has it all. But he will not give it up for the Lord or for his neighbor. Notice it says he went away sorrowful. He left for he had great possessions, mega possessions. It, 
the description of this man is beyond belief. He's the richest person you could you could think of. He's got it all, but he will not let it go for Jesus or for his neighbor. And here what Jesus has done is he's taken the filter off of his heart. And he says, you're clearly not as good as you think you are. You can't see your sin in the law. So Jesus says, I'm going to describe it to you in a different way. And I'm going to show you what it would mean for you to fulfill the law. And if you had the choice before you to love the Lord with your whole being, Jesus, knowing his heart, said you would love yourself and not the Lord. That's that's the picture he paints for him. You would love yourself and not the Lord. If you had the choice, the option standing in front of you to really love your neighbor with perfection, you would still love yourself. The law requires perfection. It requires perfect love to love God perfectly and to love your neighbor as yourself, which is to love your neighbor perfectly. That's what the law provides. But if you had that option, you couldn't do it because you wouldn't do it because you love yourself. Jesus is saying here, the heart is not good enough to love God or our neighbor perfectly. Now, Jesus isn't teaching the gospel according to minimalism. Or we all sell our house today and we buy little tiny homes in Berea. That's not what he's teaching us to do here. That's not how you get to heaven. Actually, what Jesus is doing here is more than teaching us how to get to heaven. He's teaching us how to be sent away to hell. That's the point. You're not going to get to heaven this way, but you will get to hell thinking you can get to heaven this way. That's that, that's the point of what Jesus is teaching this man. It would be like me saying, I really drive as good as Dale Earnhardt Jr. You're learning a lot about my sports affections today. You should see me in my Camry on back roads. Man, I can fly. I take the turns. I am awesome. I could drive NASCAR. Well, the way for me to get killed would be to try to drive that Camry in the Daytona 500. That's how I would die trying to do that. Because it's impossible. And it's the same thing Jesus is teaching this man. He says, I'm good enough to do what you do. And Jesus says, well, that's how you get to hell. Is thinking that way. Because you're not. You can't do what I will do, what I am doing. If you think I'm good enough to get to, to get to heaven, that's how you go to hell. But notice it's his great possessions that reveal his damning love before Jesus. Jesus does get to the heart. We're not going to gloss over the fact that Jesus points out his possessions. You see, this man doesn't love, we we like to say he loves stuff more than Jesus. He loves money more than Jesus. No, at the heart of the issue, he loves himself more than Jesus. And he loves himself with his stuff. He loves himself. And Jesus gets to the heart of that by telling him to sell all your stuff and love me more than anything. And so ask yourself the question today, if that were the gospel... And Jesus said to you today, sell everything and follow me. 
We like to be really hard on this man. But what if he said that to you? What if he told you today? Sell everything and follow me. And some of you would say, no way. I've spent my whole life acquiring what I have in the bank. I've spent my whole life building what I have. There's no way that I'm getting rid of it. That's cultish. That's crazy. I would never do that. And then others of you are saying, sell everything. That would be really easy because everything I have is in a dorm room. And that's, it's easy. I don't even need anybody to help me get rid of it. I don't know how it's going to help by giving it to anybody else, but I'll do it. But what if Jesus gave you that option? What, what if Jesus gave you the option of walking away from that sinful relationship to go to heaven? What if Jesus said, walk away from that job that you consider an idol and, and go on the mission field? That's how you'll get to heaven. What if he gave you that option today? The, the, the question is, what would it say about your heart? Because that's where he's getting at with the man. We would say, I can't love Jesus more than fill in the blank. I just don't think I can do it. I can't love my neighbor more than fill in the blank, whatever it is. I can't do it. And that's Jesus' point. You can't love your way to heaven. You can't do it. It doesn't exist within you. And Jesus is pulling it out here. You can't love your way to heaven. And you would say today, I would be just like him if that were the option before me. And unless God did something, I would be damned. Well, here's the good news. God has done something. This rich man cannot get to heaven. But the richest man has left heaven for you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has done what you can't do. He is loved. Notice that is the hope in the text that I believe so many people come to this and they miss it. He loved him. He's standing before perfect love, claiming to have perfect love and he can't do it. And so we have to remove the filter. We will not get to heaven thinking we are good enough to love our way to heaven. You may go home and evaluate your life today and you say, no, I, I kind of love God. I give a lot of money. I really love my wife. And I've done so much for my kids. And I have to work with a bunch of idiots every day. And I still love them. You wouldn't believe the ways that I love them at work and the way that I serve them. I have love in my heart. It's not enough to get you to heaven. It's not. It's only flickers of the love of God. And heaven demands the love of God. Perfect, unfiltered love. And you will not find God's love by claiming your love. You know, we actually find God's love by admitting our lack of love. That's hard for us to do. You find the infinite love of God. By saying you're unlovable. And you find it at the place that declares to you that you're unlovable. The cross. At the cross we see Jesus dying in our place. And we say that's what I love because I, or that's what I deserve because I don't love God perfectly. I don't love my neighbor as myself. I deserve to be crucified because that's what the law demands. I don't have love. And in that very place God is loving you. 
despite your lack of love. And so you go to the cross and you say, it's God's love. It's Jesus's love. He loves the rebellious, but he also loves the righteous. He also loves those who think they have it together. And here he loves this man enough to tell him he's unlovable. But he still loves him. He doesn't have the love he needs to get to heaven. But Jesus loved him. Notice the text continues. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom? Now, this man walks away sorrowful. Jesus probably turns around to the crowd and begins to preach another sermon. He, 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 with a loud voice, says, it's impossible. Do you see this? It's impossible for you to be good enough to get to heaven. It's impossible for you to love enough to get to heaven, especially if you have a lot of stuff. You can't do it. Jesus warns as much about money as he does hell. Why? Because when you have much with which to love yourself, it's harder to love God. That's the point. When you can love yourself with all your stuff, you're not going to love God instead of yourself. And when you acquire a lot of stuff where you say, I can trust in myself, I can trust in my ability to provide for myself, you will not depend on God to provide for you. And so it's it's difficult. It's hard. He says, I want you to see what I've been teaching you here in flesh and blood. This man walks away to his stuff. He walks away to hell. He will not enter the kingdom of God, the eternal rule and reign of God. Notice verse 24. And the disciples were amazed. And if you're honest, you're amazed and you're perplexed and you're confused. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he allow this man to walk away from him? Why is he not chasing him? Why is he not clinging to his feet? Why? 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 This doesn't make any sense. Did Jesus just preach a false gospel? Is Jesus a heretic? That's not the gospel. I, I don't I think Jesus got it wrong. It's the same way the disciples are, are feeling. You must believe in you to have eternal life. Why would you do that, Jesus? And how are we going to get to heaven? And Jesus said to them, children, now back to the sermon that wasn't in the sermon. Children. Snotty nosed little brats, annoying kids that the disciples are frustrated with. Children. He says, that's who you are. You're the little kids. You were acting like the rich young ruler. Thought you had some status. You thought you had some powers. But no, you're the children. And then he just, you, you think, okay, children, us, we're going to get into the kingdom. But then he says, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom? He doesn't pull back. It's hard for a rich man to get into heaven. It's actually hard for you to get into heaven. It's hard for any man to get into heaven. He intensifies what he's teaching here. How hard is it, Jesus? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Anyone. It's hard to get to heaven. Now, some people like to say, well, he's referring to a place in, in Jerusalem outside the city where camels, they would go and they would have to get down and they would have to move through a hole. And it was really hard and difficult, but they could do it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a very large animal 
a camel getting through the eye of a sewing needle. He says it's impossible. It is absolutely impossible. And at this point, he's saying it's impossible to get to heaven for those who have wealth, for anyone, really. And we're to feel that. Don't don't move past it. You're not going to get the next part unless you feel that. Here's what Jesus is saying. You're not good enough. You don't love enough. It's impossible for you to get to heaven. Feel it. And just like the disciples, they were exceedingly astonished. We are scared, fearful when we hear those words. But he says, then who they say, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. It is impossible for you to get yourself to heaven. And here is glorious gospel truth. But with God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Do you feel it? You can't get yourself to heaven. But God. But with God. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. But God made us alive together with Christ. But God. That's the gospel. You can't do it. But God. Notice he says, for all things are possible with God. It's not anything you hope and dream of could happen with God. No, it's salvation from sin and hell. And everything it takes to get you out of sin and hell is possible with God and only possible with God. Salvation is impossible by you and it's only possible with God. And this is how we understand this whole section. Inheriting eternal life is impossible because you're not good enough. Treasures in heaven is impossible for you because you can't love perfect. But there is one in flesh and blood who is good enough, who has loved you perfectly in your place. And you have to remove that filter by thinking it's possible to get yourself to heaven. The gospel is only possible with God. That God would send his son, that he would live a perfect life in flesh That he would never sin, that he would be perfectly obedient, that he would love the Lord, his God, with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his soul, with all of his life. And that not just that he would love his neighbor as himself, but that he loved his enemies as himself. And he gave his life for sinners like you and I. That is the only way to get to heaven. That's it. There's no other way but to believe This is only possible with God and to trust in Jesus, his son. And so what does that kind of faith look like? Whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child. Not a rich young ruler, like a child. See, the beginning, we talked about the passage. Children come to Jesus with no status and they're kept out by the disciples. And Jesus says, no, that's not the gospel. And here, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus With status and power and wealth and goodness. And yet he's kept out of the kingdom because that's what he's trusting in. And Jesus says, men think that they can save themselves, but children know they can't. 
And that's the faith that you must have. The unfiltered faith of a child. And we know what that means. Children are so unfiltered. We're going to get done here and your kid's going to run out. I got to go to the bathroom and they're going to announce it to everybody. No filter. And then they're going to come out and say, well, I have poopy pants. And they're going to. That's what children do. They tell you everything. Some of your kids are going to repeat the profanities that you used watching the cats game last night. They, They have no filter. They don't care about who they are. They're not vying for status. They're not, they're not trying to be respectable. They're not, not trying to earn something. And he says, that's how you got to come into the kingdom. Not vying for status without a filter. I'm not good enough. I love myself the most. It's impossible for me to get to heaven. So I have to, like a little kid, trust you, God, that you sent your son and he did it all for me. He did everything to make it possible. See, in the same way we cringe at the rich young ruler and we go, no, that's not possible. You shouldn't say that. The same way we laugh at, at folks who they, they airbrush their skin on social media. The same way we laugh at, at our friend who we know when he catches that fish and he holds it closer to the ca- camera. So we will think it's larger than it really is. And we go, it's not possible to look that good. And it's not possible to be that great of a fisherman. It's not possible And it's humorous and it's funny at times. Childlike faith looks into the filter of our righteousness and says, that is hilarious. That is crazy that you that you would think and filter out the sin in your heart in that way and think you're good enough to make it to heaven. It's impossible to filter our make believe goodness onto the gospel to impress God. But thank God, Jesus' goodness, Jesus' love, that's not a filter.